If you have your Bibles this evening, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 61. Psalm 61. If you follow along with our CBR reading plan, you will have read this this past Saturday. And I would like to read it and consider it together tonight. Psalm chapter 61. Let's hear the voice of God together. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let's pray to God together this evening. Father, even when only a couple dozen of us gather together, there are a great many needs. You alone know our frames. You alone know our hearts. You see us exactly as we are. You understand the burdens we carry, the fears that we have, the anxieties. You know the disappointments and the hurts. You know that we have enemies. And so, Father, tonight we run to you. I pray, Father that you would encourage each saint here tonight, that we would be encouraged to forsake our idols and to run to Jesus as the refuge for our souls. Let your word speak with power, overcoming the weaknesses of the speaker so that Christ would be exalted. Father, accomplish this for your glory, we pray. Amen. When the time we have together this evening, I would like to offer some, well really what began is some personal reflections that I had this weekend on Psalm chapter 61. Each Saturday I read a psalm and uh, these are some of the reflections that that came to mind. Uh, This psalm is, is familiar perhaps to you and it has a very familiar pattern. It's a psalm that is about trouble. In fact, most of the Psalms in the Bible are about trouble. David is in some sort of trouble. We don't know what it is. It's quite generic, but not too generic to be unhelpful. You'll notice that often David's trouble is generic. And that's because the Psalms were intended to be a gift for God's people. They're not specific because our troubles are not specific. They are varied, like the trials that James references in James chapter 1. This trouble is evident in verse 1. David is crying out. 
You don't cry out unless you're in trouble, ever. Verse 2 tells us that David's heart is faint. And so he is seeking a sturdy refuge. He's looking for a place that he can take his heart. A place where it would be safe, where it would be warm, where he can rest. He's looking for a place of protection. We need that, don't we? The world is a frightful place for the human heart, isn't it? Trouble abounds. There are mysterious diseases that can strike. The markets are tumultuous. Our politics are divisive or corrupt. And like David, we perhaps even have enemies. In verse 3, you've learned, haven't you? I can look around this room and know that you've learned that you have to guard your hearts, don't you? Even if it's not incredibly defensive, we have to guard our hearts and our relationships. You'd be a fool to just say what you think or to just share everything you want to share. We have to guard our hearts, even from people that we love sometimes. Who among us has not yet learned that we must always be on guard? My wife was just telling me yesterday or or Monday about a conversation that she had with a Christian lady who attends another church. And this lady was sharing how she had been a part of a, a casual woman's small group Bible study for more than a year. And it had been fruitful. The women seemed to be growing and everyone reported enjoying time in the scriptures and, and being blessed. And then one day, one lay, one day, one lady sent out a group text that she would not be returning to the group. She didn't say why or really give any explanation. And then suddenly this With one text, this sweet group of friends turned into a bitter group of suspicious onlookers. The rumor mill began to crank. The gossip and slander started to fly. And no one knew exactly what was going on, but they said it was bad. And suddenly there's all this division. All because one person stops attending a Bible study. We have to protect our hearts. We need a place in this world for refuge. All sorts of things can happen. The world is a dangerous place for the human heart, even within the church, sadly. It's a place where if you want to stop attending a Bible study, you have to be so, so careful. You might make enemies. Our hearts can be wearied and abused, even sometimes by people you love and even sometimes by people who love you and even sometimes you notice you do it to others. You hurt them. Even the best of humans can say nasty things. Bitter words, broken commitment, slander, and distrust can sometimes come from people you love the most. This world is a wearisome tornado of criticisms and disappointments. So who among us has never been like David with a faint heart? I bet if you were to spend just a few moments of reflection, you may not even need it. You could see parts of your heart even now that are faint with weariness. When, dare I ask you, was the last day that your heart went a whole day without a tinge of weariness? If the Psalms teach us anything about the Christian life, and they do, they teach us that a great deal of walking with God is learning how to find refuge 
in God. Let me say that again. A great deal of the Christian life is learning how to find refuge in God. Now this is a great deal of David's concern in Psalm 61. The psalm feels a little generic in that. He just wants to go to God, needs God's help. It can sound generic if you're not paying attention. Verse 2, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That's refuge language, isn't it? Now, I know that you know that we all know that we're supposed to do this, right? We all know this. I need to take refuge in God. I need to run to God for help. We know that when we're in trouble, and even when we're not really in trouble, we're supposed to go to the Lord. But I sense that often we don't know how. I mean, if I was to ask you, how do you go to the Lord? Or or maybe more specifically, if I was to ask you, if you were going to encourage me to go to the Lord in my trouble, what sorts of things would you tell me to do? Would you have anything helpful to say? Well, you could take me to Psalm 61. And I think we can see 10 ways that we can learn to take refuge in the Lord. But I often think that we wonder what it even looks like to take refuge in the Lord. What does that look like? 19th century Methodist pastor E.M. Bounds. Anyone ever read anything by E.M. Bounds? Oh, good. Ian Bounds, he tells a story that illustrates this idea of spiritual refuge. He was with a hunting party who was out hunting with dogs on one cold fall morning. And the dogs happened happened upon a deer and they began to take chase. And the hunting party could watch as the dogs circled around chasing a deer in the distance. And they were amazed as the deer began to turn back and run towards the hunting party. And as they got closer, they noticed that they were chasing just a mere fawn, right? A small, a small deer. And the fawn drew within 10 feet of the party and stopped when it saw the hunters. But the dogs were continuing to come. So it looked back, saw the dogs, looked ahead, saw the hunters. And let me read the words of one of the hunters. A moment later, two of the hounds came over. And the fawn ran in my direction and, to my surprise, pushed its head between my legs. I lifted the little thing to my breast and, swinging it round and round, fought off the dogs. Just then, I felt that all the dogs in the whole world could not and would not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. What an image of what it is like to find refuge even this man, this burly hunter, I suppose he wasn't in clad, in clad and plaid, clad and plaid, there I said it, <laughs> didn't mean to, right, probably wasn't in plaid in the 19th century, but there's this burly hunter who is out to kill deer and suddenly he finds himself holding a deer in his arms, fighting off his own dogs. Why? Because the deer had sought refuge. How much more? Will the compassion of God be roused when we flee to him for refuge? So what I'd like to do now is to to look at Psalm 61 and see if we can find any help, any practical help for what it is like to run to God for refuge. I really don't find much use for Christianity that is not practical. 
that does not make its way into your life? What good is it to know things about God that have no impact on your life? And so as David is giving us this example of running to the Lord for refuge, wouldn't it be a good thing to ask, how can I do the same thing? How can we do it? What are some practical steps to take? So let's think about 10 practical steps on how to make the Lord your refuge. The first thing that we can do is cry out to God, even in our weakness. That's exactly what David does in verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Though David may seem to be a spiritual giant to us, I bet he didn't feel like it when he wrote Psalm 61, right? He probably didn't feel like that. His heart was faint, and he was afraid. But what did he do? He cried out to the Lord. Friends, I know that sounds really simple, but how many times has your heart been in difficulty? How many times have you been anxious and you did not pray? How many times have you faced trouble and did not pray? Let me ask you, the coronavirus, how, if we were to put on a list how many times you've been anxious, and if we were to put on a list how many times you've prayed, which list would be longer? David was afraid, and so he cried out to the Lord. Friends, we must battle the great temptation of prayer in thinking that prayer doesn't do anything. That's the great temptation. Otherwise, you would do it all the time, right? If I was to pull up to Chick-fil-A and order a spicy chicken sandwich, my mouth is watering. I have tremendous confidence that they will hear me and give me my food. Why is it that I seem to have less confidence when I go to God in prayer? He hears me and he is acting according to his wisdom. Let's battle that temptation. Prayer garners the attention and evokes the passion of the Almighty God. Prayer is taking refuge in God. So let's go to him. A second thing is ask God to do stuff right? Ask him to work on your behalf. This is what David did. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Psalms are full of requests, full of really specific requests, many of which are extravagant. We looked at a good number of those uh, back in November in the fall. God has invited us. He has, in fact, commanded us to make our requests known to God. There could be spiritual blessings in your life that you do not have simply because you're watching too much TV and haven't had time to ask. Isn't that a sad thought? Ask. God is eager to hear. By not asking God to work in our troubles, we end up facing the pack of dogs alone. So ask him. A third thing is think about salvation. Much of the Christian life is a thinking, isn't it? David does this in verse 3. He recounts the times that God has saved him in the past. Notice the past tense there. For you have been my refuge. He notices, he calls to mind, God has helped me in the past. And if he's helped me in the past, what can I assume that he will do in the future? I have no qualms. I have no problem calling my dad and asking him for help with my car. He has bought me a car, right? I have no concern that he does not care about me. 
Because in the past, he's proven it to me hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. I cannot think of a time that my dad never didn't care for me. He didn't care for me, right? How much more is God your father? And if he's act to save in the past, can you not be confident that he will act again in the future? If you notice David reminding himself of God asking in the past, who do you think he's doing that for? Do you think he's reminding God as if God has forgotten? No, David is not doing this for God as much as he's doing it for David, right? Friends, when we find ourselves in dangerous situations, whether it is physically, whether it's relationally, whether it's emotionally or spiritually or whatever it is, we need to stop and think, what has God done in the past? Has God ever helped emotionally struggling people in the past? Has God ever helped sinners? Has God ever helped the lonely, the betrayed? Perhaps you should think about how God rescued Israel from Pharaoh's chariots. Or how he brought water from a rock or bread from the sky. Perhaps you should remember the walls of Jericho, how they fell. Perhaps you should remember the cross of Jesus Christ. And let these acts of salvation, especially let the cross, that great act of salvation, be the colored lens by which you see your circumstances now. Remember Romans 8.32, my favorite verse in all the Bible. If he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for you all, will he not also with him freely give you all things? We need to let the gospel be the barometer for God's love for us. He loves us like that, so go and remember his salvation. Think about salvation. A fourth thing you need to do is argue with yourself. You're not right a lot, and you know it, don't you? Right? It's one thing. <laughs> Who would you rather tell you that you're wrong? Your spouse? No. Your mom? Your mother-in-law? Right? Your friend? No. Isn't it better to tell yourself? Right? Wouldn't you rather get in an argument with yourself? At least you win, for crying out loud. Right? David is reasoning with himself there in verse 3. He's arguing with himself about past acts of salvation. He makes his request in verse 2. And then, verse 3, he says, four. Right? That's, a, that's reasoning language. That's argument language. For you have been my refuge. That's an argument. It's David's effort to reason, to argue, to lecture to his heart that he needs more faith. We need to do that from time to time. The great Welch preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, has often has said, and it's been often repeated as it should, we need to talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves, don't we? I've found that that is one of the great purposes of prayer in my life. It's, hard to say, it's harder to say ridiculous things when I'm praying than when I'm not praying, right? We need to argue with ourselves. Our hearts, especially when they are faint, are so fickle, aren't they? Especially when they're faint. So we need to repair them. We need to speak to them. We may know that Jesus is in the boat, but our hearts still cower and feel at the side of the waves. We may know that God works all things together for good, but our situation still feels hopeless. 
So we need to reason with our hearts. Argue with yourself. Lecture yourself on what is true. You'll find you're taking refuge in the Lord. A fifth step is to recognize that God alone is the only secure dwelling place for your soul. There's no other place that is safe. There is no alternative that is good. In verse 4, David recognizes that there is one place where he can find safety. Let me dwell in your tent forever. That's a refuge word. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That's the image of a parent covering a child. Friends, here the trick is not just to believe God is a refuge, but believing that God is a better refuge than his competitors. Let me say that again. The trick is not simply believing God is a refuge. Everyone here would say, yes, God's a refuge. And then we go to other refuges. Right? That's the struggle. That's what sin is. It's idolatry. The trick is recognizing and believing that God is a better refuge than his competitors. God can make you feel better than food. God is a better refuge than Netflix. God provides more security than your political party. And God is better than a vaccine. We Christians are really fickle in this regard. We profess confidence in God, but we freak out when our candidate doesn't win. We freak out at this, and we freak out at that, or we run, right? We go to what makes us feel good in the moment, rather than running to the Lord. Friends, our hearts need to relearn that God himself is safer than medicine. I'm telling you the sermon I've been preaching to myself in my fear the last few days, so let's just make this a big group talk here, right? Because that's what's going on. God is safer than medicine. If you can learn to ask this question, where do I tend to go for refuge when I'm afraid or weary or discouraged? If you can learn to answer that question honestly, where do I go when I'm weary? That place is what you worship. And if it's not God, it's an idol. Whatever that thing is. It might be thoughts of the future when you finally retire. It might be something that makes you feel good in the moment. I think I've told you in the past, I noticed that I had this habit of when I would get anxious, instead of praying to God, I would call a friend. I would complain to the poor friend. I don't know why he picked up the phone, right? Isn't that easy? Why is it easier to complain to a friend than to talk to God? My friend can do nothing about my problems, right? Why don't I go to the Lord? God alone is the true refuge. And all of this leads us to the next practical step of where we can take refuge in the Lord, and that's forsake the false ones. Forsake idols. Look for ways that your heart seeks refuge in things that aren't God, and then forsake them. Perhaps kill them. You can't swim in the ocean and stay dry. You can't build a snowman in a fire. And you can't take refuge in God by coddling your idols. You can't do it. If you were to say with David, let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Let me run to you for a secure resting place. Then you have to move away from the intoxicating lies of sin. Into the loving arms of Christ. 
Friends, I'm convinced, and I've learned this from experience uh, as a struggling saint and as a, and as a pastor, that so often the bulk of trouble in our life comes from the fact that we simply refuse to forsake our sin. The Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Good things happen to the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. As we turn to the Lord for refuge, let us leave sin and its wake of chaos behind us. Because we have been raised with Christ. So let us leave behind the old man. Forsake your idols. Number seven, there's lots of things we can do to run to the Lord, can't we? Number seven, consider your spiritual heritage and then take hold of it by faith. Look at verse five. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Now David, we know where he fits in the scope of redemptive history. Far before Christ, David only had the faintest glimpse of the incredible heritage that has now been secured for the people of God. He could not have even dreamed It is far more than the prosperity of our children. It is far more than the financial security or the promise of peace that may come. You see, now with the accomplishments of Christ, we have been been given a promise of blessing that is beyond comprehension. Now for David, he's he's probably thinking about his his particular reign, and we'll talk about that in a moment. but, But think about what has been accomplished for us in Christ. Think about the heritage. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been set free from sin and raised to life, if you are secure in Christ by faith, and let me just remind you, friend, some of the spiritual blessings that are now yours by faith. I could remind you of Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. <laughs> Did you catch that phrase? Well, y'all, we get so dull to the Bible in this re- Paul said that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't know exactly what those are, but it said every one of them is ours, and we get all those blessings that are in heaven. That sounds good, right? No, 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 depressed Christian. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He goes on to speak in just chapter 1 of our election, of our adoption, of our purpose in Christ, of our redemption, of our forgiveness. Then he goes on to talk about how Christ has lavished riches upon us, the riches of his grace. Then he says we have hope in Christ. We have the word of truth. We have the gospel of salvation. We have the sealing of the Spirit. And the sealing of the Spirit is the guarantee of that inheritance which we will soon possess. And when we possess it, we will never lose it. Christ is a accomplished all this for you. All of it. It's an inheritance that is so unfathomable that two chapters later, when he finishes like his third sentence, Paul prays this amazing prayer. I remember where I was in college when I heard a preacher point this out. He says this in chapter 3 verse 18. He prays that the church would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of Christ would surpass his knowledge. He didn't pray that they would just know it. He prayed that they would have the strength to know it. (laughs) 
Have you ever prayed to get strong before you learn something? That's an interesting thing to think about, right? It's, It's strength just to comprehend because the knowledge of such love could crush us. I was watching some videos. Have you seen fails on the internet? <laughs> the internet's good for some things, right? Memes, gifts, and fail videos. <laughs> okay, y'all aren't laughing at this. Okay. Um, I'm watching videos of these guys trying to bench press, and they just drop the bar, right? So they're laying on their back. They've got a ridiculous amount of weight over their face, and they got two guys there to help them in case they get in trouble, and I don't know what those guys, they never catch it, right? And they just drop the bar on their neck. 320 pounds on their neck, right? You need strength to hold up the force, right? The magnitude of the weight, the magnitude of the weight on the bar requires a particular amount of strength or you will be crushed. Well, friends, Paul knows it. The magnitude of God's love requires a particular strength. Child of God, you have an inheritance and it is heavy and it is good. So take hold of it. Know it and take hold of it by faith. When you do this, you're finding refuge in the Lord. There's more. Take heart, there's a king. In 6 and 7, David prays, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Okay, so on the one hand, David seems to be, and probably is, praying for his own prosperity as the king, right? But when you read this in light of the big story of the Bible, particularly the promise that God made to David and, and, and for the Davidic family in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we, we recognize that this is bigger, right? God promised to David, you will always have a king upon your throne. There will always be a king upon the Davidic throne, And so David is really praying that God will always have his man on the throne. I don't think David thought he'd live forever. He's praying that God would always have his man on the throne. That is the place of power and a position of authority. And we know that ultimately, this wasn't fulfilled in Solomon. Why? Solomon died. That's a big problem. Big problem. Huge problem. Everybody dies, right? The kings kept dying. Also, they kept worshiping idols until... We see that this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. He, he, he rode in on a donkey, but he was the king. And he is the king. He is the king who has risen from the dead. And if you've risen from the dead, you cannot die again. And since he lives, he rules. Even today. Even right now. Even during the democratic primary. He rules Friends, for all the hope and confidence that we place in the thought of good leaders being elected to the highest positions of authority in our government and all those, how much more should we place our confidence in Christ? Knowing that He is on the throne of this world. And He will never be up for re-election. You can't impeach Him. He's not limited by Congress. He does not have budgetary constraints. And He's infinitely wise. And He's good. And He's just. And oh, his power, his military might, how great is it? And he's kind. This is our king. 
and he rules. Which means that even though our hearts may at times be faint, and even though you check your portfolio after this week, and your heart may be faint, we never have any true cause for fear. None that makes sense, not for a Christian. The world has all sorts of reasons to fear. They should be afraid. They one day are going to beg for the mountains to be thrown on them. Yet what reason does a child of God have to be afraid? Christ is on the throne, and you can't kill him. And he, he loves you. He sings about you. Christ rules. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. These are some wonderful sentences, aren't they? Friends, there's a king and you're his. He knows you. Number nine, wow, there's more. Turn your heart and delight in the excellencies of God. Even though his heart is faint, even though his soul is troubled, even though danger is pressing in on him from every side, David finishes as we always should. Verse 8, I will sing forever praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Friends, I have found, I think you have found too, that there's nothing that lifts the spirit quite like looking at God. There's nothing that is more exciting for us than delighting in God's beauty. Nothing that gives us such perspective, such stability of heart as meditating on his perfections. And we should do that. We should always end, we should always be sure we end our asking and our worrying and our groaning and our crying with considering the beauty of God. And that brings us to the final step. Obey. David says as he concludes this psalm that as he sings to his as he sings to the Lord's name, he will perform his vows. That no matter what his heart feels like, he will obey. The safest course of action in your life will always, always, always be obedience. There may be ten thousand things you don't know the answers to, but obey. So often I I call this cutting through the fog. You don't know what to do? Find one thing that obeys God. One thing that honors God. Do that one thing. Ultimately, that will lead to safety. Even when obedience might seem immediately dangerous. Christ had a very obedient and very dangerous life. As did Paul. But just do the next right thing. Why? The Lord says those who trust in him, they will never be put to shame. Friends, I don't know what sort of storm is going on in your life. I don't know what ways the the brokenness of the world is pushing down on you. But I would encourage you, run to the Lord. Take refuge in Him. And as I was thinking about these things, I got all this stuff in my head. I've been thinking about it for four or five days. But it's really easy to just kind of have it up here and think, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's good. Ooh, that's clever. And then not do it. I have to really sit down and focus so for me, it works best to write it out. It might be the same or it might be different for you, but whatever it is, get before the Lord. Go again and again. Run to Him. He is a strong tower. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank You that You have done these things for us. And we pray that we would honor You by running to You as the refuge for our hearts.
Help us that as we hear these words, to not simply resolve to do them, but to actually do them. That you might receive glory as the strong one. We ask this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed, church. Go in peace.